Hello, and welcome to Editor's Pick, a War Elephant podcast, episode 23. My name's Ian, and I have with me my co-hosts... Christine. And Jaden. And a happy Pi Day to my fellow co-hosts. You probably won't listen to this to the 15th, but we're recording on March 14th, which is the made-up holiday of Pi Day, because 3.14, 1.59, etc., etc., is the approximation we use for the constant that helps us determine the circumference of a circle. And I am a terrible, terrible nerd, because I didn't make a pie today. I didn't make a pie either, but I did go to McDonald's and get the free pie they're offering for Pie Day. Oh man, I completely forgot about that. I should have done that too. <laughs> you probably that still have time. The, that explains the long lines at McDonald's. I couldn't figure out why everyone in the world was there today. Pie day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I think that's actually pretty a- appropriate that I mentioned pie day since it's a, a topic that overlaps in interest with a lot of the things we're going to be talking about today. Over the last week, a couple of different conservative thinkers, young conservative thinkers, have been writing articles about the question of whether a video game is art. Um, the first uh, inception of the discussion was Spencer Clavin, son of Andrew Clavin, PhD in philosophy from Oxford, and he wrote an article uh, about how video games are a type of art that offers choices and so offers new avenues of exploration and community. The This was published in the website Law Liberty, which is a conservative essay site. It's very nice. Um, And Andrew Jankowski, uh, another conservative thinker, responded saying that video games are not art because they are games. And then Spencer Clavin wrote a third piece responding with the question of what is art. So I wanted to open us up with first, do you, Mike Prohost, have a definition of art, uh, whether evolving or settled? Oh, wow. Do I have a definition of art? Um, Art actually is a pretty broad concept uh, by which people will transmit ideas and emotions through the use of a variety of medium to explore how they see the world themselves or concepts and communicate with others how they see the world concepts and and themselves i think yeah i really i really can't say that i have a set definition of art i would say that the discussion around what is is really muddied around right now which is why we're talking about it today i so i've been thinking about this when we when we brought up the topic to discuss and I would I would have to concur with Christine's definition. It's it's something that that is meant to evoke a feeling. And I would add on to it that it's um it's something I, I said this on the server when we were discussing this. Uh, it's something that takes beauty and truth and magnifies it. I'm not really sure if that that that's kind of my working definition. I'm not really sure if that's really a good definition, but that's basically how I'm thinking going into this. So I have my own definition, but I I wanted to interrogate Christine's a little bit. When you say that is a communication about how an artist sees the world and the ideas they have in connection with the world, are there any limiting factors you'd put on this definition that would separate art from, say, speeches or other forms of communication? Okay, well, 
you know, it's interesting you bring up the spoken word because the spoken word can be art as well. For example, you might have a word poetry or word slam, which falls under the concept of art. Uh, poetry is a form of art. Uh, it is much more than just portraying the exact words. There are so many things that are implied just in the structure and the form that are conveyed in the choice of words and then the paring down. So, whereas like a an essay is a type of writing and writing is communication about ideas, but it doesn't, I don't think it engages the imagination and possibilities or to the same extent. Does, does that make any sense? It does. And I'm going to propose my definition of art, and I think it might help clarify even if you don't agree with it. And it actually is interestingly tangential to what Jaden said. I attended a, a summer camp when I was in high school, and one of the speakers had written a book about literature, and he theorized about what art is, how to define it. His name was J.F. Baldwin, and he proposed the definition that art is skilled human creativity which reflects truth and beauty. And each of those words is extremely carefully chosen. So skilled is uh, a limiting thing so that people who are not skilled, so this would rule out, you know, a children's painting. Now, that doesn't mean that a children's painting is valueless, but it means that it, it requires a certain level of skill to, to cross the threshold of art. Human, we do not believe that animals uh, are, are art, uh, they may be artistic on, if we're a Christian or other theist, uh, God's art. Uh, the world is God's art, and I would agree with that, but that's not really what we mean when we talk about art. Creativity, it has to be creative, and this actually leads to my borrowing of Francis Schaeffer's concept of anti-art, which is uh, skilled human works and communication whose purpose is to destroy. And I would put some of John Cage's musical endeavors. I would argue things like Jackson Pollock, uh, at least the random Jackson Pollock, not the ones that he painted himself, but the ones that he put the um, the paint cans on a, on a rope and splashed it on canvas. I think that's destructive rather than creative. Uh, skilled human creativity that reflects. Now, the reason that he said reflects rather than uh, what Jaden said about magnifies is because art often reflects beauty, but it also often portrays ugliness and despair and loneliness and all of those things I think are valid to be as a subject of art or communicated through art. But reflection indicates that the truth and beauty are notable by their absence or by their distortion. And so it's still pointing towards truth and beauty, even if what you're seeing is ugliness or lies. So that is something that I think allows flexibility in understanding art without confining it too narrowly to things that are only truth and be uh, true or beautiful. Uh, and then, of course, true and beauty and uh, the last element of goodness are the qualifications that Aristotle, I believe, proposed for discussing art. And I think that it is good to, to think about those things, even though in my philosophical and theological perspective, truth and beauty are actually linked to the same thing. So uh, in some sense, it's redundant, but I think that it does help to separate them out to view in their various characteristics. So 
I think that the idea of art as communication is true. Um, but I like adding uh, the element of reflecting truth and beauty and human creativity because that helps us understand it better than if you say accidentally drop some paint on the ground and it's beautiful. That's true. But it's not skilled human creativity. It's an accident. And so it's not art, but it can inspire art. What do you think about that definition that I've borrowed from Mr. Baldwin? I, I like a lot of it. Um, I especially like the conditions about skilled, although I would argue that children can create art. Their art is, however, immature. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I tend to I tend to agree that art should be viewed in a sort of a universal spectrum and that the goal is not to decide whether something is or not is or is not art in some sense, as long as it's attempting to be skilled human creativity that talks about truth and beauty. But we should talk about what's good and less skilled art, what's the top tiers, to, to determine gradations and determine effectiveness. So that's sometimes no. called a universalist approach to defining art. But I don't mean universalist as everything's art. I just mean that we can include things like a children's composition or a children's painting without necessarily saying that it is equal to something by, uh, you know, uh, Kandins uh, sorry, not Kandins Sargent or Monet. So I, I have a, a bit of concern about the idea that it must reflect truth or beauty uh, for two reasons, uh, and they're separate. And the first is uh, that many things that are emotional are, as you said, quite negative emotions. And art is a beautiful, I use the word beautiful, it's a wonderful medium for expressing the despair, the brokenness, the pain, sadness, and the pain in the world. Yes. And if we, if we meant to only bring beauty in, uh, we exclude so much that is human expression that is made in ways that are well beyond what our words can often give through art. And the second limitation that I have is that it has to point to truth. I would like art to point to truth in some way, or at least an artist's perception. But remember, first of all, artists are only human beings. So their perception of truth is limited. All of ours are. We, we only have a certain amount of our viewpoint, right? But secondly, a lot of great art, actual art, has been very propagandistic in nature throughout the years and reflects things that are quite patently not true. Uh, one of the most infamous examples are, and, and I'm not dissing on these paintings at all, okay, but in almost every church in this area, because where we live is a Scandinavian area, okay, and people paint representations of God to reflect themselves everywhere around the world. That's what people do. And I don't have a problem with that. But there's all these paintings of Jesus as a blonde-haired, blonde, blue-eyed man, right? And we know that's really unlikely. But there's still art. They still point to the deeper meanings behind the painting. And they're meant to 
encourage contemplation and reflection on on the subject that is God, and yet they aren't fully accurate? Does that make sense? Well, I think those are really good points. With regards to the question about having to be beautiful. Now, again, that's why I think the, the word reflect beauty is important, because I would say that pain and suffering and ugliness and cruelty reflect beauty because of their absence, that they're only defined as ugliness because they lack beauty. And what I object to is art which holds up the ugly as beautiful. Um, I don't reject art that holds up the ugly as long as it understands that the ugliness is ugly because it lacks beauty. So this, for example, would be something where I would say it's very difficult when you look at, say, a Nazi or a Soviet or a Maoist propagandistic film. Um, I mean, the famous example of Lenny Reifenstahl, who was a brilliant filmmaker who made uh, propagandistic films for the Nazi uh, Reich uh, or, of course, uh, was his name D.W. Griffiths, the guy who did Birth of a Nation, who exalted the Ku Klux Klan. And his filming techniques in that movie were masterful and, and really influenced all of film after him. But it's holding up something as beautiful, which is truly ugly, which is the dehumanization of black people and, and the idea of the equality between different shades of skin. So... What I object to is things like that where what is true and beautiful is, is, is mocked or destroyed or distorted. That doesn't mean, for example, that I would look at a, a film like Memento, which shows all the ugliness of human relationships and abuse and murder and torture and manipulation. I think that film is reflecting beauty in its absence because it shows the need for those things and what happens when we lose it. And it doesn't have a warped moral perspective where we're meant to cheer for um, the characters which are tormenting each other in this way. So that would be my response yeah. about the beauty question. I would still argue that those things that have wrong perspectives are still art. They are but art, they but they're dangerous. are not necessarily, yes, they're dangerous and they don't necessarily deserve the same value other things. But again, if art has this huge spectrum of value, that's perfectly legitimate position. Uh, and beauty is so subjective. Oh my goodness. Uh, my two favorite poems are by two very different authors. My very favorite poem is This Is Just to Say by William Carlos Williams. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I'm familiar with Williams, it's but not that particular poem. It is a very sharp poem. It's, this is just to say, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox, and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious, so sweet, and so cold. This poem makes me feel all kinds of warm and exciting and happy feelings, and I can feel how the person who was planning to have their breakfast feels a disappointment and then they find this lovely note that's so thoughtful and yet so selfish at the same time and 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 i can taste the plums i i i have been returning to this poem for over 20 years and every time it touches me now i have other people in my life who have read this poem and they're like 
This is not a poem. This is just a scribble. It's not art. And what one person sees and another person sees in the same art are so wildly different that I find myself highly reluctant to brand as not art many things. Well, as I said, I, I do tend towards a universalist definition of the category of art, and I think that the more important discussion is what is good art rather than what is or is not art, because I think art in itself does have a value judgment, but I think that it's more helpful to break it down into things like what beauty are you seeing in this and what skill was required to create this effect? Um, but that would that would make really only highly trained art critics qualified to say or recognize art. Yet I think it's something that almost everyone recognizes as kind of, uh, pardon, pardon the analogy here, but it's kind of like pornography. You'll know it when you see it. Except that pornography really isn't that hard to define. I don't really understand why they were so cowardly in that court case. Uh, but people have a, an instinctive recognition and in drawing to art. Now, and it's so very, I, I am not a fan of most, multis, multi, uh, most modern sculpture. The university where I went to graduate school had a giant sculpture that for all the world looked like either an earthworm rising out of the ground or a giant piece of poo. And I walked past it every day and went, I don't understand. I really don't understand. And I still don't understand. But someone must have thought it contributed something to the conversation about the world. I still don't get it. And I and I hesitate to say it's not art. It's just very bizarre and distasteful to me. Well, I don't want to get too down the road on questions of uh the modern fashions in the higher in the the professional of high, high arts um uh, because that's a whole nother podcast. Um but I I will <laughs> say that I think that definitely there are profitable discussions and I do think that the the category of anti-art, art which is designed to be destructive to our ideas um, should be more commonly used. Um, however, I did want to get to the question of our video games art and based on our discussion, I don't think we've come to a conclusion because honestly, I'm not sure we can come to a conclusion since art being part of the human experience is an ever multiplying and perspectival thing. But based on our discussion we've just had, would you say that video games are art? I would say video games are a medium through which art can be represented. Uh, the same way that painting is a medium, poetry is a medium, that uh, music is a medium. And certainly many other mediums of art are used in the creation of video games. And so in that way, it really makes it a multimedia, multimedia sort of representation of ideas. And I've certainly played video games that are extremely artistic in 
their entire design, their whole point is to introduce and challenge ideas or introduce and look at beauty or truth. So I'm on the side of it. it's a medium and art is so very, So would you say that some video games are art? I would say it's possible many of them are art. They well, they certainly contain a lot of art, you know. So maybe they're some of them are more like art galleries. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, uh, Jaden, what do you think? I I really don't know, honestly. There are a lot of games that I really wouldn't consider art, but if if we are going by the definition that just about anything is art, that that is just a medium to display art then it's really a more of a question, is it good art or is it bad art? It's, it's really difficult to say. I would certainly say that a lot of games, um, more like open-world games, are more art than games like um, shooters, like uh, Call of Duty or Halo or something like that. Uh, so games like uh, Minecraft or uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, those are more art than shooters. But that brings up an interesting thing that um, the the inter in, interrogator uh, Andrew J Jankowski brought up, which is, would you consider baseball, basketball, chess, or checkers? Are those art? Because that's really more of what a shooter is. Um, you could compare an open-world game or a role-playing game as sort of like a novel or a combination of a painting and, and a novel. And it's easier for us to see how the connection of art is. But a competitive game, like a shooter, it can have a story. But do things like basketball or football, are they art or not? They're sports. They're, they're easily classifiable as sports rather than art. They are not mediums of expression of human ideas. They are instead... But in some ways you could argue that they are... Activity. Because they have strategy, and they have cooperation, and they have hierarchy, and they have equality. They do have ideas embedded in their rules. But, but they aren't creating or changing or interpreting the idea itself. And the experience of participating in or watching them does not in any way impact how you, how, how the viewer may ever see the world i don't know I, I might interrogate that a bit because if you think about a lot of people view life through the the prism uh, of games one of my least favorite translations of the bible uh the message actually reframes one of the psalms from the perspective of uh, a football game or a football team and i know that lots of people view uh, real perspectives and real ideas as a chess game if you think about the way chess is organized, there's a very clear hierarchy and power and ability of the pieces and importance of the pieces. And I know for sure that some uh, less hierarchy-inclined in artists have looked at chess and said, we should reorganize this and make it communist and have all the pawns unionize. And so I think that there really are more ideas than you might think, and they are connected to real-world ideas, and they can really impact the way game. we see the world. Chess is a game, not a sport. 
how do you define the difference between a, a game and a sport? Because there's a lot of people. I guess this is another discussion we could have. Like, is is chess a sport? What what define what defines chess a sport? Can be a sport, but I think that fundamentally, right. sport is merely a game played on a wide scale for higher stakes. With, with the physical body. I mean, the fingers that you sport. use in chess are physical. Yeah, but. Sports are typically primarily dependent on their kinesthetic activity. Um, how do I explain that? I, I don't you know. know. I, we, I don't know how far we can go here. down We're, that one for this. This, the this is time. Christine talking way out of her expertise. <laughs> I mean, this is out of all our expertise <laughs> in some senses. I think that I would be comfortable saying that the game of basketball. Uh, and the game I'm not of chess. a fan of the concept of... I'm not that comfortable. I, I still haven't quite wrapped my mind around the idea that esports are sports, per se. I like, I, I'm 100% on board with the fact they're competitive games, but I'm still having problems with the idea of them as sports. I mean, I would say that so esports are just as at. much of a sport as chess tournaments. Yeah, I don't think chess tournaments are a sport either, so I, I think there's something else. But Yeah, honestly, I'm not really sure if I would consider eSports to really be sports either. ESPN aside, uh, I'm, I'm not on board with that, and, and I'm not dissing them, and I'm, I actually have enjoyed watching eSports tournaments. Um, I was a World of Warcraft player for years. I've enjoyed... Many other games, uh, but especially, you know, the other Blizzard games. And I've been known to watch esports, but I, I, I just don't see them as sports. I just see them as a competition that's something else. I do think that that's an interesting question, but it's definitely outside of the scope of where I'm hoping the discussion will end up going. Ultimately, my, my point about bringing in the question of basketball and chess is that I think that if you look at the creation of the games, not necessarily the games as practiced per se, I would not say that a game of basketball is art, but I would say that the creation of the rules of basketball certainly has artistic elements in simplifying, creating rules, having ideas about how the game should be played and what merit is. I think that that is at least artistic, if not art itself. Um, and I would say the same goes for the creation of the game of chess. Rather than any specific match, the game of chess as a whole. Um, because one of the arguments that Andrew Jankowski brought up was that choice. Uh, these games, video games, are different for every person who experiences them. And that means that they can't be art. But I think that's silly because a performance of a Shakespeare play. Every one of those is different, even if you have the same actors. They're going to do something different every night. And I would say that that performance is art. And certainly the play of Shakespeare is art. So and, variation... And everyone's takeaway is different. Right. Variation in, in instantiation, to me, does not mean something is not art. I actually think in some ways, they are a new level of creativity in art. Because one of the things that art has worried about for many years is audience engagement, audience participation. 
And in video games, this is actually made real. Uh, it's like the ultimate choose-your-own-adventure. Now, the question is, because the the variations that a video game, usually a story, will have because of the choices it offers the player, that means that the meaning, the ideas communicated, can be very different, and in fact can be opposite, If you, uh, especially with games with, say, a morality system. So if you choose to play a game choosing all cruel or evil actions versus choosing to play a game with positive or admirable actions, um, the the ending of the story, the, the ideas being conveyed could perhaps be seen as being contradictory in the same piece. But again, I think you could make an argument that the way we perform a Shakespeare play, I mean, uh, The Merchant of Venice uh, used to contain a lot of very anti-Semitic performance practices with how they portray the character of Shylock, who was a Jew. But now often they will perform Shylock in a tragic manner, in a, in a very different way than certainly the theater used to perform it, but also perhaps than Shakespeare saw Shylock. So it's having a very different moral effect than the original play had uh, by, by lending him gravitas and trying to view his actions not as the living out of stereotypes, but being trapped within the role of stereotypes. So I think it is complicated. And I, I don't think that the arguments that Jankowski brings up are convincing to me, but as uh, my ideas about art are not convincing to my co-hosts. So that's one of the, the reasons we have these discussions, because these ideas are difficult and slippery. Uh, the last thing one I wanted to most... ask... Yeah, go ahead. Okay, one of the most uh, thought-provoking games I've ever played is called Life is Strange. Oh, I've, I've, and... I've watched a, a, a Let's Play of that game. It's pretty interesting. And... I would argue that that game is exceptionally artistic. And it involves a lot of the things you talked about with morality decisions. And when you play it, you are pretty much forced as a player to grapple with huge morality issues through the game. And it is very intriguing. And on top of it, the music is beautiful. The 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 digital painting is absolutely beautiful the story is incredibly complex and i would uh i would have to say i come down really firmly on that game is art i i cannot think of another word that could possibly describe it yes i would absolutely agree so basically what i'm what i'm gathering from the conversation we've had is that when it comes to video games, there's a sliding scale of whether this game or this game is art. And more RPGs and story-based games and exploration-based games are more art than games that are competitive, like shooters. Well, and, I... and whether it's just great art, you know, like, mm -hmm. it's meh art, or it's like mass-produced art, or if it's you know, truly profound art. And, and that's really no different than any other medium art is created in. Because you wind up with things in all these mediums that kind of fill the entire spectrum. 
So the last question I wanted to ask is, do you think that there's anything uniquely conservative or a unique conservative perspective we can bring to the question of art and the question specifically of video games as art? Well, Ian, you know, it's interesting that you brought up the idea of anti-art, art that it's meant to destroy. Because in a lot of ways, I think that comes uh, out of the same kind of postmodernist mindset that permeates so much of our culture these days. And I think conservatives have had kind of a knee-jerk reaction to a lot of new or expanding forms of art. And we have to kind of resist that impulse, but at the same time uh, cling to and recognize and elevate the importance of art as a means of reflecting on truth, beauty, life, our relationships, our emotions, and all of the other things without um, without being afraid to embrace novel ideas where they do these things. Yeah, I do think that Postmodernism is very much what I'm talking about when I talk about anti-art, because postmodernism is a parasitical philosophy. It deliberately takes the pieces of a worldview or a culture and attempts to show that they're meaningless or, or evil and should be destroyed. And I think that while it does have some elements of truth in that, you know, totalizing meta narratives can be very reductionist and oppressive to many people and that we have to develop uh, flexibility and marginal uh, strategies for dealing with things like that. I do not agree with the idea that the, the solution is um, to just deny all totalizing meta narratives, to deny the idea of truth itself, in fact. Um, I, well, Jaden, why, why don't you pipe in? Do you think that, that there's a unique um, conservative aspect on our video games art well really i don't know if there's anything specifically conservative because a lot of the criticisms on whether a video game is art or not comes from a standpoint is whether the video game is like trying to get to a, a higher truth or not um, or trying to convey beauty or the lack thereof i think there's a lot of video games that are rightfully criticized for being the absolute opposite of that, such as um, The Last of Us 2. Um, the people developing it were very woke, and a lot of the people that were covering it in games journalism, which is insanely woke. Um, it's... Other, other than stuff like that, I really don't have much to say about it. It's the same as every other entertainment and artistic medium shows and movies and stuff like that um when it's uh consistently woke you get kind of tired of it but when it comes to whether video games are are art or not I, I don't think there's anything whether it's conservative or not that's unique to video games other than is it uh is it good <laughs> really well, the reason I think that video games continue to be interesting from a specifically conservative perspective is that unlike novels, genre fiction, young adult fiction, movies, and TV, 
Video games did not manage to get rid of their non-woke creators and um, audience members. Uh, Hollywood was very brutal in the way it got rid of its non-woke people, and it's very difficult. And there's a lot of attempts to create new things like the Daily Wire's attempt to make a streaming service and uh, various other production companies attempting to make them, but they tend to be very splintered. Whereas video games still have to understand that a lot of their audience does not accept these tenets that the rest of the entertainment industry accepts. Uh, In other words, Gamergate, for all its negative um, behaviors, was successful in a way that all of the other attempts to resist the Great Awakening were not. And that means that video games still have openings for conservative communities to form within them. And I think that's part of why Spencer Clavin decided to write it, because he saw video games, if you can talk about them in an artistic way, in, a, in the conversation of art, you can help conservatives who are still engaged with that particular medium of art to understand the importance of not giving up like conservatives did with movies and with books and with comics and with theater. Conservatives just don't go to those things because it's been made entirely clear that the people who make and most of the people who support with money those uh, media hate them. So conservatives either don't watch movies or they turn their brains off and just sort of enjoy them for superficial things. But conservatives tend to be more engaged um, with video games that they don't turn their brains off as much with them. And again, because video games are such a huge medium uh, that encompass things like uh, you know real-time strategy versus um, shooters versus open-world role-playing games or, or graphical adventures, all of which have very different artistic communication techniques. Uh, it is a complicated discussion, but I, that's why I thought it was worth bringing up because it's one of the few areas of the culture which is still open to active conservative engagement and creation. So uh, that's kind of where I wanted to end it. Any last thoughts? Uh, before we moved on, actually, I wanted to just ask one more thing about Gamergate. Or rather, maybe might make an observation, because I'm not really sure that Gamergate was necessarily successful in what it was trying to do. Because while it was trying to point out, of course, the lack of ethics in gaming journalism, um, it really didn't... I don't know, change a whole lot. There's still a lot of woke journalists out there that are completely unethical. I, I've been following this uh, um, this topic for a while now. Of course, uh, my understanding of the situation is still quite incomplete. So maybe we can talk about this in the future. But I guess that would be a good question to discuss how successful it really is and why it is that video games as an entertainment industry are more open to conservatives and as opposed to like movies and TV shows and stuff like that. So I love to talk at length about Gamergate sometime because I have some uh, unusual perspectives on that. Having been a gamer while it was going down and moreover, a female gamer while it was going down, Mm -hmm. but that is clearly not a topic for tonight. I mean, that's Uh, a, that's a lifetime topic, unfortunately, but we could definitely devote oh, an episode to it. Oh, yeah. It, w- it would be very interesting and uh, I think maybe surprising. 
Um, but my last thoughts are that we need to also remember that one of the reasons that we've maintained the ability to be conservatives in the gaming area is because the indie game possibilities are still so major. So if you want to make a movie, it's almost impossible to do so without major finance, without being part of the Hollywood, the Hollywood scene, right? If you aren't in with one of the major studios, kind of not going to go much of anywhere. And to a large extent, that is also true of uh, much of the other media. You you need to be one of backed by someone big. You need a lot of money, and not just like it. It does take a lot of money to make a game, but the barriers to entry are much much smaller in gaming, uh, and it's been democratized a lot through different platforms like Steam or Epic. And I think that has really helped in being able to maintain maintain a conservative voice. And that that's was my thought. All right. Well, thank you, Jaden and Christine, for joining me in this complicated discussion. I thought we would have lots to talk about. I didn't realize how much. So we may devote more episodes to this topic. We'll definitely have an episode where we talk about Gamergate, but it probably will take a bit of time for us to research and figure out what we want to say there. But yeah, I definitely have tons of thoughts about the culture wars as they were played out in games. And it's part of why I wanted to bring this up, because I thought that these essays, which will be linked in the show notes provided a lot of food for thought in the conservative arena specifically so thank you all thank you for joining us on editor's pick please feel free to give us a like and subscribe on youtube or whatever platform you're listening to Uh, leave a comment we'd love to interact with you Uh, we have a lot of community on our discord which will also be linked in our show notes and on the quora main site which is still our main platform for our content we do a lot of answer writing and sharing and commentary um, and we also have a lot of gamers. We have so a lot people are of gamers. Games. <laughs> I mean, Discord so was a gaming platform, <laughs> so it's not surprising. So uh, join us. Um, thank you again for, for listening, and I hope to hear you again next time. See ya. It was wonderful to speak with you. <laughs>